Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. With Amanda Howard and Robert McKnight. Hello there and welcome to episode two of season eight of Monsters Who Murder Serial Killer Confessions. Amanda Howard, can you believe we have come this far? I know, it's amazing and it's our two-year anniversary next week. And oh, you're, wow. Yes, and you're still alive, so. <laughs> <laughs> Only because I move states yeah. and we do this via video link now. <laughs> yeah, just remember I know people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. I can run, but I can't hide. No. Hey, uh, this week, it's a really interesting case, Colin Island. And I think why I find this case interesting is because of his confession, just the way he handles himself in police interviews. Yeah, I know. This is a case that I thought I, I knew all there was. And so I'm actually learning a bit this week too. Uh, Colin Island was one of the first cases I looked into once I sort of started getting into into interviewing serial killers. So it's quite amazing that um, I still get to learn as well. So this is an interesting case study, that's for sure. Indeed. Well, that will be coming up shortly on Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. Thank you for listening to our little podcast. We do the news section first and then we get into our psychological profile. So let's begin with the news. And the trial of accused serial killer Bradley Edwards has taken an unexpected twist, as Nine News reports. He's fighting three murder charges, but Bradley Edwards gave nothing in his defence. After five and a half months and more than 200 prosecution witnesses... Ms Barbara Gallo, are you happy with how your case went? Can't comment, honestly, I can't. His case was all over in about a minute. There were no DNA or fibre experts, as we'd expected, the 51-year-old also choosing not to testify. Instead, his police interview did the talking. Today, the moment, police revealed they'd linked him to Kira Glennon's murder. Brace yourself, Bradley. We have some results here. Your DNA is a positive match. He appeared stunned, asking how can that be? Head in his hand, he went silent for about 10 seconds, then saying, I didn't do any of this. Detectives also showed him a photo of Kira Glennon asking if he knew who it was. He said he didn't. He gave the same response when shown the women's kimono we now know Edwards wore during a bizarre bedroom sex attack in Huntingdale covered in his DNA. Your daughter said your most prized virtue is your honesty. This is your chance to show she's right. I'm being honest. Just one piece of evidence was presented in Bradley Edwards' defence, a two-page weather record from the city of Gosnells in 1996. But there's still so much riding on this case. The families of three murdered women in court again today, now a step closer to the answers they've waited so long for. 
Amanda, this is an interesting strategy from Edward's legal team. I know. I did not see this coming, I have to admit. It is amazing that they've only provided the, a affidavit that says that, you know, it rained a couple of times. I mean, that's all that they're offering and they're not getting him on the stand, which I totally agree with because if he gets up there, the, the prosecution can just go for the throat. Mm. So the fact that he's not talking is a, probably a good thing for his defence, but at the same time offering no defence... Is 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 perplexing. So, I have a I have a feeling there might be a plea deal coming. Ah, so, uh, right. Yeah. So I think he might uh, go. Well, give him if because if he is found guilty, he will likely get life without parole. But if he goes for it and and admits guilt and says, you know, this is the deal, he will get life with a with the possibility of parole. So that's that that's his only bargaining chip by by pleading guilty. So we'll see how it goes. It is interesting because there's been some missteps along the way with this case. We've seen the um, DNA evidence. There was some tampering with it, wasn't there? If I'm remembering correctly, uh, there was com- some contamination. So yes, sorry, yeah, not yeah. tampering, so, contamination. Yeah, they said that there was some um, threads found in this case that was um, linked to a different case that sort of was definitely not linked at all. So um, they sort of explained a bit that you know that that can happen, but it's not going to change the uh, results that he has been linked to these three girls. Mm. All right, well, we'll keep following this one, of course. Meanwhile, police have arrested a prime suspect linked with two gruesome murders in Kenya. Dishan Maturineri has been hiding from police who have been investigating the death of her mother and her child, which occurred on April 22, 2020. Neri is said to have murdered Margaret Waramu, 30, at night by breaking into a house before hitting them repeatedly with a blunt object until they died. Waramu was found with only her underpants on. She had multiple stab wounds in the head. The body of her seven-year-old son was burnt beyond recognition. Neri is suspected of being the man behind numerous murders. Amanda, this is a big catch if he's found in a court of law to be the serial killer. Absolutely. I mean, he has been linked to a few cases now and it's the way that uh, they've all all been killed that it's going to tell us that, yes, it's him or or not because uh, the way they're killed very much is a signature because they're being hit over the head and then stabbed as well and then there's fire. So there's overkill here, there's anger, there's rage. And so they'll be able to sort of look at other cases now and see what happens. So this is a big case that's that's going to hit Kenyan courts, that's for sure. Mm. Well, police have arrested a confessed serial killer identified as Ijaz Jahai in Lahore. During the initial interrogation, the accused confessed to at least five murders. The suspect worked as a massager and used his profession to lure victims to their death. Jahi convinced his clients to go to a deserted place in a park for a massage. Once he built their confidence with his massaging skills, he would snap their neck, bone or stab them to death. What else did this killer do to his victims, Amanda? Well, once they were dead, he would actually rob them. So this is actually a theme of killings that's actually happening in Lahore. So he's not the only one, but he has actually confessed to five victims. Uh, but there's several that have, have been doing this as well, apparently. So they're now seeing if he's linked to these other cases or if it's random people all over the place because they're, they're going into the highly populated areas and convincing men to, to come and get massages. And then, bang, they, they're they sort of pressing on, on their jugular veins and and sort of suffocating them a bit until they're unconscious and then they're snapping their necks it's it's 
it's unheard of this sort of way of killing. So it's interesting that this has come up and it's not only his cases but a few others. Usually, though, haven't we talked about the fact robbery uh, is not usually a motivation, but this is certainly happening with these killings? Um, For a a pure serial killer, yes, we say that, you know, sex and power and and control are more important to them. But there are killers. You know, we see the Black Widows, we see the Bluebeards that kill for the profits via um, insurance. So the fact that they're doing this, it's just we when people think about serial killers, they do think of the Ted Bundys and the Ed Geens and that sort of person who uh, kills purely because they want to and there's usually a sexual element. But there is so many different sorts of serial killers out there, which is why I'm trying to break it down. I mean, the, the big database I'm working on, I think I've got 19 at least different um, subcategories of the term serial killer. So there's right. a lot to come. Wow. Well, a serial killer has been captured in Spain for flouting the lockdown rules. The suspect, Thiago Lagos, has been linked to the brutal murders of four homeless people since the COVID-19 lockdown in Spain. The first murder of a homeless person was recorded on March 19. Three more were registered in April. Amanda, you actually said on this very podcast that the lockdown would make it easier for killers, and it looks like you're right, although this one did get caught. Well, I didn't say that they wouldn't get caught, but I said that this was going to be an opportunity for them to kill without so many witnesses. I mean, this guy mm. is is killing homeless men. So, And there's actually footage of him standing outside because um, a lot of, especially European countries, but Australia's doing it too, at 7 o'clock or something at night, they all go outside their homes and clap for the healthcare workers. And, oh, yes. And there's actually footage of this guy doing that. And then three hours later, he's out there killing someone. So what this has, what this COVID um, pandemic has provided is almost an ease of moving around cities that are, are in lockdown because you know, you can take a guy into a empty laneway now and there's not going to be 12 people walk past. There might mm. be one, but that's it. So they actually, it's it's almost like a hunting ground currently. So though wow. a lot, lot of people are behind closed doors now because of everything that's going on and there is a lot more domestic violence happening too, sadly, but serial killers are actually going to use this as a perfect opportunity to get those people that need to be outside. You know, there are sex workers out there that still need to pay their bills, you know, and so they risk getting COVID purely so then they can get paid. And so Mm. there's going to be other killers that we're going to see turn up purely because they've had this opportunity because no one's going to see them because everyone else is at home. Yeah, absolutely. Well, now is the time to subscribe to our Patreon page. We have more chats coming up for our $20 plus patrons. Plus, we are about to endeavour on a whole lot of recordings for our cold case collection and many more bonus materials. Amanda has sent me a big list and uh, I don't think I'll be doing anything except recording Monsters Who Murder by the looks of things going forward. Well, well, that's my plan. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Well, so go to patreon.com slash mwmconfessions and then you can subscribe or just help us out. Uh, It helps us keep the podcast going and we appreciate everyone who supports us. Meanwhile, our psychological profile on Colin Island is coming up in just a moment. We'll be right back. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And Robin Robbo. Media executive Rob McKnight. Something brand new is coming to your social media feed. Big Brother winner Ben Norris. This is something bold and informative with a side of humour. And journalist David Robbo Robinson. It's truly going to be something different. Ben Robin Robbo Show starts April 20. Go to tvblackbox.com.au slash BRR for more information. It's a Ben Robin Robbo, Ben Robin Robbo, Ben Robin Robbo Show. This week's psychological profile is on British serial killer Colin Island. Island was responsible for the murders of five men and was dubbed by the British press as the gay slayer as he targeted homosexual men. Let's start by hearing what he sounds like. I think um, I, I should be placed in a position where I can no longer inflict harm upon others. Amanda, Island is different from other killers we've discussed on this podcast. Why is that? Well, unlike most killers that have, you know, that, that violent fantasy life that they decide to uh, recreate in reality, Island is one of these people who said, well, I read the books... I think I want to try being a serial killer. Like it, it was literally, <laughs> wow. it was literally his New Year's resolution. He he decided that yes, I think I'm going to go out and kill people. Right. So don't all serial killers learn how they could, you know, target, discard, kill, and all that kind of stuff? Well, yeah, they, they but they think about it, and and it sort of leads to a point where they can no longer think about it; they have to act. Whereas Ireland sort of had no history of wanting to do this, so no history of violence. Something... Well, he's there's a couple of photos of him out there with you know bruised face and all right. this sort of stuff, okay. and, and and he and he did have a petty criminal record, but there was no. Um, that there was sort of no history that that would suggest that this guy's going to become a serial killer. Literally, he just decided, I'm going to try this because I reckon I can get away with it. Um, Tell us about his childhood. It was rather bleak, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, his his mum was 17 when he was born and dad was nowhere. He just sort of dumped her at a workhouse and that's where she had Colin. So she tried to look after him as best she could, but they actually moved around often, like two or three times a year, every year for about a decade. Um, and he lived a very transient life. So he, he knew how to sort of mix in and just be part of a crowd without sort of drawing attention to himself. And he ended up going into petty crimes, like I said, you know, a couple of thefts and, you know, cars and stuff like that. But it wasn't anything sort of serious that would suggest that there was going to be this violent takeover. Um, In 1982, he married for the first time and he divorced her five years later. Um, And then he married uh, Janet Young in 1989 and they were together for only a few months. But what this brings out is that we have a gay slayer, as they called him, but he actually wasn't gay. So he was 100% heterosexual. He had no gay tendencies. He just decided that that was going to be who he was going to target. Well, Janet Young actually spoke about Ireland in the documentary Voice of a Killer. Let's have a listen to her. 
It doesn't seem like the same person to me. That isn't the person I knew. That isn't the person I was married to. Looking back, he had a very difficult childhood and youth. I didn't know he'd been in prison except once. It seems a very poor excuse for what he did, but um, who knows how people's minds work. This is always the same story, isn't it? They never seem to be able to reconcile the person they know with who the killer was. Absolutely, you know, and I think this is also their way to absolve themselves from any guilt. And, yes, they shouldn't have guilt for what someone else does. That's 100% true. But they always think, what could I have done to stop this happening? And there is this guilt that every family has when there's a serial killer in in their midst. They, They do wonder where they went wrong that allowed this to happen later. You know, Jeffrey Dahmer's dad actually wrote a book about, you know, raising Jeffrey Dahmer you know he goes I raised like the worst human besides Hitler basically and he actually goes through that and say you know well if I hadn't shown him the bones in 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 the bucket of something I was I was going to do and you know maybe that wouldn't have stemmed to something else so they often do this that they try Mm. and find out how they can stop this from happening and they always say but he was nice there there was no inkling that this was going to happen Look, she did say something different in there. She said, who knows how people's minds work? And and you actually smiled at that. Why? Well, I mean, she is realising what, what I explain often, you know, that these killers actually hide in plain sight. You know, it's about the mind. It's not about the actions. It's not about the history. If someone wants to kill and kill repeatedly, you know, they, they're going to do that. And that's how their minds work. And... Um, the easiest way to say it it's, is it's as if there's two brains, you know, that there's the killer and the human, you know, and they can work together but also apart. But he showed that he could be loving, though quite a dysfunctional husband, but he could also be a, a cold-blooded killer, mm. you know. But, but but these two live in, in, in syncopation that it sort of comes out, but they will hide it from those people who they don't want to hurt. Well, Ireland even tries to explain how a serial killer's brain works. Take a listen. I'm probably 60-70% quieter than a reasonable human being most of the time. But there's, there is that side of my character that is negative. It's quite cold and calculating. I find this fascinating. You know, people aren't black and white, are they? Yes, there's this killer side. But he said 70-80% of the time... I'm a regular bloke type thing, you know. He sounds like someone you'd have a drink with down at the pub. But he did say cold and calculating. Do you think that's an accurate description of a serial killer's mind? Um, yes and no. Um, there is those that, you know, yes, it is 20% is, is a serial killer brain, but for a lot of serial killers, especially uh, the sexual deviant serial killers like Bundy and people like that, it's more than that and it actually it spills into their life but they don't actually show that part. So there's often, you know, in, increased sexual activity, you know, that, that they cheat on their partners, they go for driving just to see who they can pick up. They go and rape people and everything. Um, And for Ireland, that's slightly different because he is able to be normal more than he, than he is a serial killer. So, but there's also this extra part that they, um, they, can switch this on and off. You know, I talk about compartmentalising their their criminal behaviour, but some of them can't actually turn that off, whereas Mm. he can. He would switch quite easily. He would decide, yes, I'm doing this, no, I'm not doing this. And it it was almost like that there was two people. Well, we've talked about Janet Young, his second wife. She She goes into further detail about her life with Ireland. 
At the time I met him, I think I was quite a vulnerable person. I was running a pub on my own, I had two children. And he came to the pub um, to stay for bed and breakfast and he came into the doorway and he just completely filled the entire doorway and the whole conversation in the pub just stopped. He was controlling, he took over, he picked up on the things I needed help with and it, he just seemed an answer to a prayer at the time. Is that really what a serial killer does? They prey on vulnerability? Yes, they do. It's it's about the way to sort of provide an almost an alibi, you know. So then the people do say about them, oh, yes, they were lovely, they were caring, they, they did everything I could have possibly asked for and more because they know that they need all these people around them to be able to almost give them good references. You well, know, well, that's the like, thing. It does show... The monster remains hidden when it wants to. Yeah, absolutely. But it's about the control of that monster, how they can switch it on and off. If it, this is what escalation is, is that the monster, I mean, we're, we're using basic terms here, but mm. it's about that ability to make that monster go away. But the escalation that happens, and we'll see it here, it's about that monster taking over and it goes from 20% to 100% and that's what happens when they kill. You know, the monster can only stay hidden for so long, though, it seems. Janet talks about the glimpse she had into the other side of Ireland. We had a busy Easter in the pub and everything was fine, so after Easter we decided we'd have a few days off. So we drove up to London. Um, I got on the bus with the children because that was convenient. He went off, as I thought, to Southend to stay with his friends. Um, but when he didn't come to pick us up on the Sunday, we had a bit of a panic and we phoned to make sure he had, wasn't in hospital. And they said, oh, well, he came and said that the bailiffs were coming, so he was taking everything to a safe place. So naturally, everybody let him take virtually everything that I owned um, and he cleared out all the bank accounts, took my car, took our wedding album, I think mainly so he could say to the next person, look I'm a really normal, well put together man, this is my ex-wife, this is my children. Wow, he totally blindsided her, a psychopath? Absolutely. This is this is that glimpse. So this is him thinking that this is an okay thing to do, that you can just do this to someone who is deeply in love with you that seconds ago was saying that you would do everything and more for them and now you're actually saying, yeah, fuck you, I'm taking everything and going and you're not ever, ever going to know. He literally left her and the children completely homeless. They were out on the street literally. Wow. The murder started just after their marriage broke up, do you think that their relationship breakdown was the catalyst? No, I don't think so because uh, they had only been married for about four months and they sort of knew each other for about three months before that. So it really was a whirlwind. And this is what serial killers sometimes do. They can they can go into quite intense relationships very quickly and then move on very quickly. So they, they're sort of an you know, c completely in love but at the same time have this complete hate. And this is what's happened here. Um, he has decided that, yes, he is going to move on because he has other plans. And this actually happened just before the killings did start. But this isn't a breakdown. I mean, when we look at cases like the Claremont case, some of the prosecution was that there was a link between the killings and uh, Bradley Edwards's um, relationship issues. So there is killers that do that. You know, Ivan Malak, when he broke up with his wife, there was a killing. When he broke up with his girlfriend, there was a killing. So there is some serial killers that do that. But for him, it was just like, yeah, I'm over you. I'm out. 
Hmm. Look, on March 8, he decided to kill his first victim, Peter Walker. Here's the police interview from the documentary Voice of a Killer. I think it's that something's been triggering me some time before that I felt if I was approached, uh, I felt there was a likelihood that I would kill. Um, I thought to myself, if I'm approached, something will happen. If I'm not, it would have been quite likely I, I would have gone on my way and maybe nothing would have happened. We went in a cab to his flat in Battersea. I put on a pair of gloves on the way. Uh, my intentions were different to his. While he was tied up, I, I went and got a plastic bag from the kitchen, carrier back, and I stuck it over his head. And I think, in a way, he wanted to die. I think, in a way, he probably didn't even realise it, but I, I detected him in this, it's this, this lack of desire to carry on. And uh, I think he knew he was going to die, and he was, he was quite controlled about it. It's almost like a, a thing that was going to happen. It was like almost like a fake thing. So his defence is that the guy he was killing wanted to die. Yeah, I know, right? Um, <laughs> this is quite a shocking thing for a serial killer to say because usually it's about that they chose these people, you know, like we look like wet loffer and, you know, she chose people that were going to die. But for... Ireland to say that it's it's weird that Walker didn't have a fight or flight um, response, which is usually well, what what happens. You either try and get away or you turn around and attack. So for Ireland to say he wanted to die, it's basically because he was probably expecting a fight that they didn't come. Mm. So he's like, well, if he didn't fight me, well, then obviously he was doomed to do this. So you have to then question, well, why wasn't there a fight or flight response? So either Walker had... Um, sexual experimentation with, with things like autoerotic asphyxia or that he just thought that it was part of a game and he sort of lied there and thought, okay, we're going to get our king con. We really don't know. But there is no way that he thought that Ireland was about to kill him. So, you know, but it is an odd response from, from a victim to not fight back. Mm. Look, after the murder, he did something I don't think we've ever seen before. Yeah, this is really strange and this is something I learnt. Um, by doing the, these interviews, uh, he didn't leave straight away. So usually people think, right, I've killed him, I'm out. You know, I have to get away before anyone sees me or they take the body and dump them somewhere away from them. But he actually stayed there for the entire night. He scrubbed the place clean so there was no fingerprints anywhere, made sure he had gloves on, all this sort of stuff. And he didn't leave until the next day just so it didn't appear weird in this apartment block that someone was leaving at 2 a.m. Mm. So by leaving it at 10 a.m., people wouldn't know or care that someone was coming in and out of that time of day. And he actually sort of sat there, fed the dogs, watched TV, you know, and just literally enjoyed himself in someone else's apartment where the dead bodies are sitting beside him. It sounds like a clever move. Absolutely. It's a brilliant move, but, you know, it's really odd. And when I write um, books on, on crimes like this, there's things that I like to leave out because you do wonder who's going to re read the books and decide what they're going to do from those, especially injuries and things like that. Um, so he's actually learnt this from a book that you don't leave in the middle of the night and you right. stay until you're not going to... You're, you're not going to cause any suspicion. So he's doing this as part of his signature that, that he's going to stay, and this is what is actually going to get him caught later. But for now it's like that is a very clever move. Well, the police asked him how he felt being there for that long. I think that affected me mentally to quite a degree. 
sitting in these, these bodies for sort of like um, five or six hours on some occasions, watching them gradually sort of move the blotches as they do and calm. Uh, so it wasn't, wasn't something that I don't have to cope with, to be honest, and I deal with it too well. Look, he's talking about his fears of being there, but is that really the truth? Well, I mean, he didn't have to look. He didn't have to see what was going on. He could have covered the body up and sort of ignored it. But the fact that he's watching that changes, you know, the face droops, uh, the arms and legs sort of relax, there's often an evacuation of, 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 of the bowels and all this sort of stuff. He's actually watching this. He's watching the blood pooling, you know, and yet he's, he's talking about how, how horrible and scary it was, but he could have literally not seen it. So he was fascinated, mm. not scared. Mm. Then Island talks about the next day, how he felt and what it was like. Now, I remember after Walker looking in the mirror, I mean, I walked down the road and I thought, if I must see it in my face, I've just murdered someone. They must be able to tell. They must just by, by looking at me. I remember losing my virginity. You know, and I remember that same feeling then. It was like, you were almost passing. That's an interesting analogy that the first kill gave him the same feeling as losing his virginity. When he started talking, I was going to sort of say, oh, it's like the first time you have sex. And then he, he goes and says it's scary that that's actually and my brain is, <laughs> as, as a similar um, comparison. You know, but this is about the killer in plain sight. You know, they, they are no different to us. That They actually do things and no one can see that they're a killer. And he's expecting them to see, you know, blood dripping monster, but it's not there. No one can see what's happened. And this is how they get away with it. A, a, a stranger crime is so hard to solve, you know, and this is why uh, sometimes police services don't want to say there's a serial killer because they are so hard to solve. So when there's no link between the killer and the victim like we have here, no one's going to know. So the fact he's walking around going, oh, my God, I'm now a killer and everyone's sort of going past him and not caring, it's almost a, a, a deflated ego. He mm. wants people to see that there's something different about him, like we all do when we have sex for the first time. We think our parents are going to see something different in us, you know, and that's what he's expecting to happen, but it doesn't happen. Mm. Now, when police discover Peter Walker's body, Ireland has done some very weird things. Here's Detective Inspector Martin Finnegan describing the scene. About uh, 10 to 1, got the call down to where Peter Walker lived. He'd been found dead by the caretaker. Peter was uh, lying in bed. He had a duvet pulled over him and his feet were sticking out. There was, curiously, two teddy bears positioned on top of the duvet in an inverted position. You could say the 69 position. Uh, he had a condom on his nose, trailed across his cheek, and he had another condom in his mouth. I've got to be honest, never thought I'd hear a police inspector talking about finding teddy bears in the 69 position, <laughs> but there you are. Um, I have to ask, why did Ireland do that? Well, these are hate crimes, and so we have to remember that when we're profiling this sort of killer. Um, he did it actually to amuse himself and to degrade the victim. He knew that somewhere a police officer is going to have to write this into a report, that they're going to talk to each other going, what the hell are we looking at here? There's teddy bears on top of this victim doing that, you know. And um, it's because that once they were back at the flat, Walker had told Ireland that he was HIV positive. So that was sort of like the next rung. You know, this is this is Ireland going, yeah, this is 
is why I hate gays, you know, the whole AIDS scene and everything that was happening back then. And so this was his way to just sort of make him more degraded. You know, he he wanted this to be part of the fun too. He He thought that defiling his victim, people aren't going to sort of, worry about him being a victim it's more about you know the killer has this sort of time to play these funny games you know that he's this brilliant serial killer that everyone's going to be frightened of Mm. but Ireland then did some more strange things in the following days didn't he well, he was, you know, watching the news programs, he was buying the newspapers and the case didn't make the news. You know, he, he was thought, you know, 24 hours, this is going to be front page news that this man's been found with teddy bears on top of him and everything. And it didn't happen. So he ended up ringing the newspapers to say, look, there's this guy and I killed him and you have to go into the house because the dogs are locked in a different room. You know, Hare was oh, actually wow. concerned about the dogs. Yeah, he there was a genuine concern. Like these dogs are locked up and it's already been 24 hours you know, and by the way, I've killed someone. <laughs> you know, it's it's sort of like that. It was about the dogs more than the victim. But he just wanted people to, uh, like, to see what was going on. So was it about the dogs or was there another motive to, for, to him calling the paper? Well, it was about the, the power of it. You know, we know that some killers like uh, the Zodiac um, actually ring newspapers and ring news programs mm. to say this is what's happened, you know, th- this is the first victim, you have to find them, you know, and start that, that cat and mouse game. You know, but he has this concern that this is going to go un, un, uninvestigated purely because there is no one caring about finding this man because there's no one who's going, shit, where is Peter? You know, he, he I do have to up. ask, though, why wasn't this front page news? I don't know. It just it's just one of those things that do happen. But we have to remember this is ninety three, and the gay scene was still very much underground. I mean, we've we've made huge strides since then. But because the victim was gay, you know, right. it's just like you know, sex workers or people of different races or homeless people. The police don't really care. So the fact that a gay guy might have been killed and it looks like that it's a sex game gone wrong, no one's going to care. And at the same time, the police know if they do make this front page news, no one's going to come forward because it's going to out them as gay yeah. so you know there's all of these other issues that are going around that that um Ireland thought that this was going to be an important feature of it but it's actually played against him now Ireland didn't kill for another two months why is that well because he was worried you know when it didn't make front page news he was worried that maybe they'd already known it was him that they were going to come for him so it's about the waiting game he's about seeing what's going to happen and when nothing happens he knows that he can get away with it ah. so but it takes that that little bit longer because they start to panic saying oh well they're not putting it in in the news because they have clues they know like they saw me on CCTV or something like that they start to panic that you know they're keeping it quiet for a reason Mm. And so it sort of delays them. There's there's very few killers that go bang bang with, with victim one and victim two. Um, I mean, BTK started with a victim, um, a group of four people first first kill, but that is very very rare. So this is what serial killers do: they sort of test the waters and then back off to see and and they go through it. You know, it's often enough to fuel that fantasy. But when he did begin killing again. It was a spree where four men would lose their lives in just two weeks. Then I reached a point where I, I couldn't stop myself. In some moves, I'm quite happy to burn the world down if possible. Very cold streak, deep streak. He's speaking so calmly, but there's a rage there, isn't there? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's about the compulsion. You know, he's got away for he's got away with the first killing, and so now it's about pushing those boundaries. You know, serial killers will change their ways if something doesn't go right. You know, they you know practice basically makes perfect. So if it went right the first time, what would you change? You know, he and he has to think about that. Mm. So he has a taste for it, and he was ready to kill again. And once you're going to start, you may as well just keep going. And this is what he he did. He had done the research basically he knew how to do it right the first time christopher dunn was island's second victim this section is it's quite it's quite hard to hear but listen in he was just in there early five six o'clock and we got talking i realized he was that tight island says he was that tight and that means he was gay he really had a hatred of gays didn't he yeah, well, he claimed that um, he was raped by a man in his teens, and so he uses this actually as a crutch for his his defence in targeting gays. You know, he says that basically gays are perverts, and so this is what has to happen to them. He has to rid the world of of, of a few of them just so then he's done his 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 part in pr- protecting the world. You know, and he just knows that the police aren't going to care. I mean, we can even look today at the Bruce MacArthur case. You know, police mm. weren't looking because it was gay men and they just sort of thought, yeah, we're not going to go there. So, you know, we haven't gone far in 30 years, but, you know, it just proves that these sorts of cases still happen because people aren't going to investigate because the victims are homosexual. Well, in our news section, we have talked many times on many different cases, minority groups uh, are, do seem to be ignored when it comes to these serial killers, whether it's gay, whether it's um, poor black people, you know, especially yeah. in the States, this is an ongoing issue. But look, Ireland continues his confession. Uh, so if you didn't catch that, Ireland tortured Christopher by burning his testicles because he didn't believe that his pin number was the same digit three times. Uh, is this escalation? What is this? Well, yeah, well, each time that he kills, he he gets their key cards off them and their PIN numbers and he actually goes and robs them after they're dead. That's a major, major risk, but he, he, he did it nonetheless. Um, but, yeah, now we're getting in, into torture. There is burn marks all over this man's body. And, again, the police actually don't even pinpoint this as a murder. They reckon, again, it's a sex game gone wrong. Mm. So the fact that he was killed, it just sort of, again, it didn't make the papers. Well... Island claims to feel the change in him as he continues to kill. It was building up. I was on sort of almost like a roller coaster thing. And I, I just, I felt, you know, there was, there was more I was doing, you know. It's interesting. He decided to become a serial killer. It hadn't been mm-hmm. something in him. But he's now getting the urge to kill. Yes, and this is what I say about, you know, this this hidden person, the, this compartmentalisation, and it becomes harder and harder to keep that killer in a box. It's like a drug, you know, it's the ultimate high. There is so much danger involved. You know, it's 
a very simplistic comparison is like that those those kids that do backflips on on the top of buildings they they they're dicing with death and mm. so this is what the killer's doing he doesn't know if he's going to get killed during the attack and it's about the ability to sort of make these decisions that yes I'm going to go out and and inflict harm I'm going to kill someone and no one around me knows that I'm the bad guy he literally goes and sees his mate and asks him what he he thinks of the cases that are going on you know and it's just about that that thrill of the chase, the the ability to kill someone, the ability to have control over someone else, the ability to um, have that choice of life or death, and it is the ultimate high. And they get addicted to it basically. And this is why we have killers that have you know fifty, sixty, a hundred victims because it is so addictive that they continue to kill until that persona is basically the only one that's left, and the good normal person is gone. Mm. Well, he then kills for the third time. Perry Bradley met Ireland at the same pub as the last two victims. He's a businessman. He had a flat nearby in Kensington. And we went back to the flat. And I said to him, it's going to be a long night. I said, I suggest you get some sleep if you can. And uh, I just sat and listened to the radio. And he actually went to sleep. And while he was asleep, I, I put a noose around his neck. He barely came to... He barely come to it, it was quite quick. I, I followed him with the noose and he hardly struggled. And uh, um, Sam, for instance, Walker, it took longer. So his method of killing is essentially asphyxiation, but why did he change from a plastic bag to a noose? Well, he's honing his skills. He's oh. saying that, you know, the plastic bag, you know, they're flimsy, they're pretty crappy, you know, the victim can sort of poke holes in it that they can chew on it and it's never ever going to be a hundred percent um airproof you know they are going to have tears in them i mean plastic bags are crappy so he decided he'd use a noose instead thinking that that was a great way but a noose is going to be clunky when the guy's lying in bed and he's handcuffed so what's going to happen is that he's going to tighten it but it's going to be a slow asphyxiation you know nooses are made for the drop you Mm -hmm. know they're 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 made for to have the weight of the victim against it. I know I'm sort of giving people tips on how to kill people, but anyway, um, <laughs> it's it's about that 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 weight. So doing it in bed, he would have actually literally had to stand on him and choke him to make it work. So he he learned he never did this again because it didn't work. Right, but finally, the the murders were actually noticed, at least that of Perry Bradley who was the son of an American political juggernaut. His murder was on the front page of various newspapers. And, look, I'll even read you an extract from the Kensington Post. It was titled, American Man Found Dead in Apartment. The naked body of a wealthy American has been discovered in his luxury South Kensington flat. Police revealed last night they are treating the death of Perry Bradley III, 38, as murder by asphyxiation. A friend of Mr Bradley's discovered the body after visiting his flat in Bretchen Place, South Kensington, at 8pm on Monday. A police spokesman said he could not confirm if the man had died from strangulation or from having an object placed over his face. He added, he is a single man who lived on his own, so the investigation will obviously be looking into his background and lifestyle. A special team has been set up to investigate the murder, based at the Kensington Police Area's sixth major investigation pool, led by Detective Super. Superintendent Brian Edward. A spokesman for the American Embassy said, we will be in close touch to act as a liaison between any family who might be in the States, as we would with any American citizen. Amanda, you can see some clues in this article that suggest the investigation was not going to go so well. 
No, because it hints of gay slurs. You know, he's a single man living in London. Yeah. Hmm, what could possibly that mean? We're going to look into his lifestyle. Yeah. You know, this I did is like, up we on don't that. care. Yeah. You know, they don't care that they're just saying this is sus and this has been a sex game gone wrong. So, really, we're going to do it purely because he's wealthy and he's an American. So, there's international Politics, issues. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, but as you can see, there's no link to this to the other killings. Hmm. So, it's not saying, oh my God, this is happening. All three men have disappeared from the same pub they hadn't noticed that they didn't know they didn't know that the last place all these three people had been seen so far was at the same place interesting so, i mean yeah. they weren't they weren't looking too hard well look then island kills his fourth victim andrew collier but things go differently this time here again is island's confession collier. i think collier was the only one i was angry with the way the body was found i felt why was he so angry with Collier? Well, this is um, another one that actually had HIV and there was literally like a red rag to a bull for Ireland. So, you know, on top of that, Collier wouldn't actually comply with um, Ireland's request for his PIN number. You know, he goes, no, I'm not going to give it to you. So what he does is he starts to torture him and then when that doesn't work, he grabs the guy's cat and kills him. So it's like this that this is what's going to happen if, if you don't tell me your PIN number. And he refused. So then he gets tortured further. He had cigarette burns all over him and everything. And then Ireland chokes him to death and then he poses him again. So he puts a condom on the man's penis, puts the cat's mouth on it, puts a condom on the cat's tail and puts the cat's tail in the man's mouth. So again, we've got oh. that 69 position again. So there's a lot of there's a lot of torture here and it's purely because Collier is the first one who really fought back hard. This 69 position keeps coming up. Is this an unfulfilled fantasy of his? I think so. I think that's where it comes from. So because this is the one position. So also at the same time, we're talking about a straight man who is making his own assumptions about what gay sex is. Yeah, So right. he obviously doesn't have any idea about sodomy and things like that, though it's not a crime. He's probably thinking, you know, no, I can't do that because that's weird. And it's also it's very hard to um, em- emulate anal sex when it's easier to do the 69 position, especially with teddies, cats mm. and everything. But this is what he's doing. This is what he thinks gay sex is about. And so this is what he's providing them as saying this is what they do. He's pointing out that these men are gay. That's what he's doing. This is his postcard, basically. Well, he's escalating further, but he made a mistake before he killed Collier. I know, and this is what's going to get him caught. So before he killed the man, they were actually in his apartment and they were chatting. There was a loud noise outside. So both of them went to the window and the window frame had like an extra bar across it that um, old English homes have. And Ireland actually grabbed it and he left a fingerprint there that Ah. he wouldn't remember to clean because that was just a sudden thing that happened naturally, whereas he knew what else to clean, but he never remembered that he'd gone to that window. Huh. And Ireland actually found the scene he left behind at Collier's place funny. In his taped confession, he actually jokes about it. I remember sort of with with Walker and and with Collier standing by the bed and saying, well, what do you think of this, Sergeant so-and-so? I don't know, sir. And and as if, you know, how you would would react when you came in and, and, and saw it. So he's actually thinking about how police are going to find these murder scenes and how these men have been tortured, and he's finding it funny. And in that video, he actually smirked about it. 
Yeah, he thinks it's a great laugh. And, you know, actually that police said later that exactly what he said, you know, that they were sort of looking at each other and saying, well, what do you make of this? The police said, yeah, we actually did do that. We sort of went to these scenes and went, what the hell's going on here? You know, he, he wants to appear as this intelligent serial killer and he's thinking in kind of the right frame of mind but it's not completely there you know so instead he's he's playing games and he's being childish about it you know he's fucking around with teddies and pet cats yeah i mean it's it's not the hardcore stuff that we we see in some cases but he just knows just to make it weird enough for them to know that there's something going on he's trying to leave a trail of breadcrumbs mm. you know 69 69 and all this sort of stuff that's happening but police weren't picking up on it well unlike the previous cases both the last two cases, Bradley and Collier, were linked and the cases were combined and were to be worked on by the Kensington Police. Ireland was finally excited to see that the cases were getting the attention he believed they deserved, but he wanted all of the cases linked, didn't he? Yeah, he did. So he started ringing the police stations, not Kensington, but he rung other police stations to say, you know, you've missed these other two cases. You know, Bradley and Collier, yep, they're linked, but how about these other two victims? You're not seeing what I left behind. And so when he would ring, he would say, oh, and I left the cat on the man's penis and stuff like this to make them realise that all of this stuff is being linked. He talked about the teddy bears. And the police started to go, okay, there is something going on here and because the cases were under different police jurisdictions, they sort of had to then start actually talking because police jurisdictions don't don't talk. Mm. They, you know, and we have national databases and all stuff like that, but it actually has to get into the database to be investigated as linked cases. And especially back in 1993, that's definitely not going to happen. But they start to think, hang on a sec, we have to talk to these other places because there's a man who's ringing us all saying link these other two to Bradley and Collier. Well... The police were now taking him seriously, but he would kill again before he was caught. He rang police to tell them about his fifth murder. We'll play the audio, which is terrible, but I'll read you the important parts from a transcript. So as you can hear, that audio is bad. What I'll try to do is read Ireland's responses on top of his. Why are you doing this? Because I'd set out to see because I'd read a lot of books on serial killers and indeed, you know, I wondered if it would be possibly be done and actually get away with it. But why in particular homosexuals? Because they're a class of... They keep their mouths shut and don't tell police things. They're respectable and I don't like them. just to see if you could be done, all right? So I'll leave you to get on with it. Bye-bye. He makes it sound like a clinical science experiment. Well, human life means pretty much nothing to Ireland. You know, he killed because he could. And literally it was an experiment. He was seeing how long he could do this and... Get away with it. You know, this wasn't fueled by fantasy. This wasn't about him being a long-term sexual deviant. He'd read the books and decided, yeah, I can do that. You know, and and this is what I sometimes say. Um, People don't believe that people are... are, 
are led on by computer games and books and movies and violence, things like that. You know, I, I read Silence of the Lambs and wanted to be Clarice Starling. This guy read Silence of the Lambs and wanted to be Hannibal Lecter. Mm. People do that. You know, it's, it's not going to um, create a new sort of killer, but in this case it kind of has. This guy went and read several books, and, and it's actually books that I have, and I've got notes through, through the same books that he did. But he decided, yeah, I can do this. This isn't one of those sexual fantasies. That This is just one guy who goes, I've read the books, I'm going to give it a go. Well, he then kills his fifth victim, Emmanuel Spiteri, and like Collier, the man did not cooperate with Arlen. Here he explains the murder. Well, if you want to talk to me, I knew about the, you know, information I'd asked him for. And he started to show his head up and down. But I think that was more of a reaction to being strangled, then piled all the papers and furniture together in the centre of the room for no particular reason, but that reached the point where I, I can just stop myself. So he's now turned to fire. Yeah, this is a major escalation. And if he was just doing this as a science experiment before, now he's actually a full-blown serial killer. Yes, he has the count, but fire is something that is is hard to control. You know, it's messy. It does its own thing. And so it just proves that he is now feeling the same way. He's out of control. So mm. what does he do? He uses fire as, as his way to eradicate what's happening. He's, he's decided to go into this massive explosion basically to put himself on the front page news you know he'd read about Ian Brady he'd read about Peter Sutcliffe you know Jack the Ripper but he was barely making news you know he was making a couple of inches that was it like not him his his victims obviously and he was like well if I kill one with fire then this is going to be hardcore this is going to be front page news well he was about to get his wish and become front-page news, police hosted a news conference knowing that he was escalating. Have a listen. It has now been established this afternoon, pathologically, forensically, that those murders are linked. There has been a fifth development tonight, a murder which bears features to the others that we are investigating. Enough is enough. Enough pain, enough anxiety, enough tragedy. Give yourself up. Well, he was now front-page news, but surely isn't this playing into his hands? Wouldn't he want to kill more for more publicity? Well, this is the fine line that police have to do. You know, they have to think about public safety. If people out there know that a man is killing gay men, well, then the the, the gays can sort of start thinking, hmm, I'm going to worry about Mm. who I'm going out with and things like that. But at the same time, there is those people that are going to think, oh, my God, he's going to go bigger. He's now getting what he wants and he's going to feed it and they expect there to be more. So this is the police now saying, please give yourself up. You've, You've done it. We've done what you've asked. You're front page news enough is enough yeah that was really strange uh it was the policeman was basically chastising him like a child and i absolutely can't believe that would even come close to working but anyway one thing the police did do did work someone came forward yeah, so there was a young closeted gay who said that he had seen Spiteri the night he died and that he was sitting behind them on a train. So the police then decided, well, then all the train stations have um, CCTV even back then. So they decided to go through all of the surveillance to go through all the surveillance cameras and there with Colin Island that they, they found him on tape with Spiteri. Well, Island must have known the gig was up, surely. 
Yeah, he did, but he also tried to get out of it. So he hadn't played this part. He hadn't thought about how he was going to do this. So he decided to go to a lawyer and said to the lawyer, look, that is me on on the tape and people are actually handing me in and saying it's me. But I was with Spateri, but when we got back to his house, there was someone else there. So, you know, obviously I couldn't kill him and I didn't want to be in a threesome, so I was out of there. Smart. Um, But police, of course, now knowing all five murders were linked, now had the opportunity to go back over the evidence evidence taken from all the scenes, and that, of course, included Ireland's fingerprints on that metal bar in the window at Collier's home. Ireland already had a police record, so it took no time to match the fingerprint. The police knew they had their man, but they had one final piece of evidence, didn't they, Amanda? Well, yeah, well, they arrested him, obviously, because they had that fingerprint. And the man who arrested him, like, uh, and the officer who arrested him was the guy we just heard on, on the police phone call. He was the guy who took the uh. phone call saying, you know, why are you killing gay men? And so he knew that it was the same voice. He knew it was the guy he spoke to on the phone. <laughs> oh, wow. So he went, yeah, we've got him. That's him. And, and though we have the interview tapes, it wasn't all smooth sailing, was it? No, I mean, we hear these tapes and this this is um, a beautiful confession in that he's actually quite verbose over it. But the fact is, um, like like Shipman that we did a few weeks ago, um, he actually sat for two solid days being interviewed and did not say a word. He sat there, listened to every question and was silent. The only time he sort of made any sort of reconnaissance of what was going on around him um, was when they said that they had a fingerprint. That's the only time there was this glimmer of shock and that was it. Um, and so instantly he was charged with Collier's murder and then of Spateri's. But he continued to remain silent in the interviews for weeks and he was in remand and that's where he, he stayed. Yeah, but we know we've listened to his confession. So how did police get him to talk? Oh, my God, it's so fantastic. So the police actually didn't get him, him to talk. He was in in the holding cells and it was during a bed check that a a guard went and opened the the door and he screamed out i'm the gay serial killer i want to talk to police Ah. he just decided that he wanted to do it (laughs) and this is how his confession began i was i wasn't um, forced to do this i wasn't in fact when i was last interviewed by the police for five days i said nothing on tape i spent then spent a month in prison considering my mental uh, my mental state my, my, my outlook and what had happened um, and I probably didn't come to a final decision until maybe yesterday. I, I wanted to create a situation where I couldn't really back out of my decision so I deliberately spoke to the prison officers regarding this. I said I was intending to change my plea to a plea of guilty. I think uh, I, I should be placed in a position And Ireland got his wish. He was sentenced to life for each of the five murders. He was also given a whole life tariff. Ireland died in prison on 21 February 2012 from a broken hip and congested lungs. He was 57. Amanda, that brings us to the end of another psychological profile. Thank you for your unique insight once again. Thank you. This was a great case. It was a fascinating case. We will see you next week on Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, Fresh. 